Hi everyone, I'm JJ Hornblast and welcome to The Buzz from Bank Automation News, where we chart the future of banking automation technology. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in the banking automation industry for March 19, 2021. Before beginning, I want to thank Bank Automation News advertisers MX and Vena Solutions for their support. So thank you to them. And I am pleased to be joined by Lorraine Lawson and Jaspreet Kalra uh, from the Bank Automation News editorial team. Hello to both of you. It is in, in general economic uh, news uh, today. The US economic recovery is picking up steam as Americans increase their spending, particularly on in-person services that have been hurt so badly by coronavirus, the coronavirus pandemic. The Wall Street Journal reported, restaurant and hotel bookings are up, airplane tickets are selling fast, consumers spent more on gyms, salons, and spas in recent weeks than they have since the pandemic started. Also, jobless claims are hovering near the pandemic's lowest levels, that's at 6.2% now, and that's further evidence of recent economic improvement, both very good signs for all of us. And the final good sign uh, for the economy, FedEx said yesterday in its that its quarterly earnings, that's uh, the quarter that ended February 28th, their earnings uh, nearly tripled and revenue jumped 23% as the pandemic spurred e-commerce. In banking automation industry news, intelligent automation in mortgage finance has clearly come and advancement is coming in that space in many different ways. We reported on it starting uh, yesterday and we'll continue to be reporting on developments in mortgage uh, finance automation. Lorraine, please start by uh, sharing with us kind of the general background or the general developments that you've found in uh, mortgage finance automation. Yes, so in some ways, mortgage finance automation is a little bit behind the times, but change is coming, according to Forrester's Craig LeClaire. Uh, he, he and his panel of excerpts that were on Housing Wire's recent webinar said that um, we weren't quite there, but we will soon be disrupted by what they call intelligent automation. That's the combination of AI with, uh, or AI with robots. Um, so marrying that will get us further down the technological roadmap. Right now, they identified three stages. Uh, stage one is really rooted in task automation. So very basic. We've seen that with bots and the banks uh, automating processes that, that humans typically did. Um, but, you know, uh, we are now entering stage two, which is enhanced digitalization. And that includes things like invoicing and email management and document handi handling and uses technologies such as optical character recognition, natural language understanding, machine rules and a, uh, machine learning and rules, more, more advanced rules. So that would put us come looking ahead to stage three, uh, which would have exception handling and decision management. So that's getting closer to where you could do under some underwriting automation there. Jasper, what have you uh, found uh, in your reporting recently as it relates to mortgage automation? 
Okay, so from what I've been able to find so far about mortgage automation is that right now a lot of companies are looking towards processes that can be easily codified and translated over to a computer as compared to say embarking on large scale projects that involve more uh, complicated subjects like AI or using a computer to make decisions. Right now it's about say keeping people off the phones or keeping people off chat so that say a customer has a straightforward question about an interest rate, why not let a computer answer that instead of having a human involved. On the other end, you also have underwriting softwares evolving in a way so that they can more, more effectively crunch data and make the help the human make decisions instead of having the human crunch data themselves and then make the decision on it. So it's more of an efficiency proposition right now as compared to an overall, you know, undoing of the process proposition right now. Yeah, I, I think that the decisioning, uh, the, the data usage um, has significant implications. And so I can, I can see that kind of momentum continuing. The momentum that I wonder about, and I don't know what you both think about this, but the, is, is related to this sort of stage two, stage three that is not necessarily um, uh, data and decisioning oriented, like you were mentioning, Jasper, because the, in, the efficiency gains that they can receive just by the, call it stage one, you know, blocking and tackling automation is so significant. And things generally tend to uh, kind of develop so slowly in financial services I mean, this might be, a, you know, they might be working in this area for a really long time. And, and the, the notion of kind of getting to this kind of enterprise-wide intelligent automation, maybe they just won't have the, you know, the, the, the drive or financial uh, incentive to really go beyond that. Is there, is there a sense that there is momentum to kind of get beyond this efficiency stage or is it, there's plenty to do. I think in a lot of that will also depend on the return on investment expectations. Now, this is a story that I covered earlier in the week, which talked about how UiPath, Microsoft are leading the sort of, you know, RPA charge along with a lot of other vendors. But at the same time, what companies are now realizing is that large-scale products, say large-scale enterprises, when they move to bots, they also need a team to manage the bots. So some right. money is going to go there as well. So that's why it has sort of dampened the ROI expectations that companies usually have with RPA. So I think that's going to be a very important factor to watch considering what's the cost benefit analysis the companies do themselves. How beneficial is it versus what sort of efficiency they can get out of it. So I think I mean, the, the cost is going to be a critical factor. Yeah, I mean, the other, I think that's a great point. I mean, the other thing, uh, the other thing about it is, is that outsourcing this development to third parties, banking has historically uh, has historically had very, very strong third party technology companies that have kind of dictated uh, the, the technology roadmap for a large uh, population of financial institutions. You know, kind of losing that control too means that you're also losing control of the, the cost basis. Uh, for these technologies. And I wonder also whether, you know, to what degree will a, you know, a UI path or whatever be able to 
you know, assume so much leverage on the on the financial institution that the incentive to get beyond the basic automation, um, at least let's say in mortgage, where there's just so much uh, uh, paper and, and documentation that's required, you know, do they have that kind of motivation? You know, I think yeah. it's going to I think it's going to be on the vendors to make it affordable and appealing, and I do think the vendors are working on that. <laughs> with cloud offerings and uh, you know doing things at scale. Recently, Blend announced it was acquiring Title 365 and Blend is sort of active in the uh, automation. It's a technology platform used to automate mortgage, some aspects of mortgage and Title 365, their expertise is in title, escrow and settlement. So they're gonna be looking to bring that onto their platform. So that's you know a way in which we'll see, and, and they're very cloud-based. So we'll see, I think, banks looking to the cloud to, to achieve a scale of efficiencies. Jesper, do you wanna add something? Yeah, I mean, I think the cloud point is gonna be the space to watch because you're seeing leading cloud providers redouble on their investment plans. Like Google yesterday announced that they will be putting down $7 billion in offices and data management centers in the United States, which basically means you're gonna see a lot of activity happening around clouds. And earlier this week, Automation Anywhere, yet again, a big RPA vendor just announced that Google Cloud is partnering, the two of them are partnering and they'll be building out RPA products together, building out AI-infused RPA products together, and also that Google Cloud will serve as Automation Anywhere's primary cloud vendor. So I think the space for cloud market shares is going to be an interesting space to watch as we move towards more automation or say more even more AI-infused technologies. I mean, I, I look, I, I understand what both of you are saying, right? That the cloud uh, economics kind of generally are a counterbalance uh, to to escalating costs, but you can't assume that that's going to be the case. You can't assume that it will continue to be the case, that it may very well be that uh, a, a kind of corner gets turned and the, when, especially when you get to intelligent automation and, and you're really, you know, seeing as you described it, Lorraine, you know, like really kind of enterprise decisioning coming out of an automated that I mean it, who if you're the vendor who is controlling the enterprise you know decisioning for a financial institution um, I, I think you've got a lot of leverage <laughs> institution and and I wonder you know whether that even even with cloud kind of pushing down um, uh, the cost basis, whether that necessarily means that costs will continue to slope down or, um, or whether they'll go up. Well, and those subscriptions, once you get onto them, they don't usually stay static. So some companies have actually started to hire people to manage the cost of their services, their cloud services, because they, you know, it's just like Netflix. It goes up a few dollars every, every couple of months, it seems like. So um, those costs don't stay static. Um, so that's something else that will be interesting to watch is as these vendors gain more control of the IT systems, uh, at what point do they become indispensable and, and like a utility and sort of be able to raise costs when they want? Right. Yeah, I think, I, I think, the, I think it's the open, open automation dynamic that is going to be uh, crucial because the more 
a financial, the more flexibility a financial institution has to bring in other vendors, the less leverage those, those major automation vendors have. And, and that'll be a counterbalance to make sure that the industry uh, kind of continues on a positive innovation uh, trajectory when it comes to banking automation, but time will tell. Uh, so we're, we're not gonna solve that today. Um, it, in the meantime, uh, we have our Bank Automation Ignite conference coming up on April 13 to 14. I, uh, I actually did a, a, a prep call yesterday with uh, Justin Hunsaker of KeyBank. He uh, is in charge of all of wellness and originations experience at Key. He's gonna be talking about uh, automation in customer experience. Should be an excellent presentation and just one of many. So I hope you will join us. Uh, visit bankautomationignite.com for details. And uh, Lorraine, what uh, coverage do we have planned for next week? Well, we have a podcast coming up that will feature David Foss of Jack Henry. He'll be talking about uh, what he's seen in automation. And we also have a feature going up on low-key, no low-code, no-code solutions uh, with a look at what Wells Fargo is offering to some of their uh, business partners in that space. Great. Um, so uh, we want to hear from you. So please rate the buzz on your uh, podcast platform of choice. And of course, visit uh, follow uh, us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Follow Bank Automation News on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on bankautomationnews.com and on this podcast again. See you next time.